Welcome to Free For All, an episode-by-episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. I'm Chris Bainbridge, Senior Lecturer in Broadcast and Creative Media, and I'm also a Prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer, restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which is how I got this gig. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. We don't have to apply for permission and pay royalties for the use of this song. Thank you, the law. Many happy returns. Actually, it is my birthday uh, this week. Happy birthday. Many happy returns to me. And many happy returns. An episode, I think we can all agree, we both have a bit of a soft spot for this one. Yeah. In fact, I I think I remember when when I first met you, did you see it last week? Mm. Oh, my God. I think that was the one. Yeah. There's a, for some reason, a special place in my heart for this episode. Which is weird, because the first 25 minutes or so... There's no dialogue. It, yeah, but I it's, think that's one of the reasons it's so so it's memorable. It's like pure cinema, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, because it's you're relying... And there's a lovely moment where the cat breaks the, the, the crockery. Yeah, and the music takes the music out as well. And he just turns slowly yeah. to look. Oh, I've been caught. Ah, no, it's, it's captured on his face, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's a brilliant sort of... Uh, and it, it doesn't even spin around. It's a... Oh, bastard. <laughs> so, oh, no, it's just a cat. And the opening titles don't have the reveal of this week's number two. No, which I suppose, if you were a keen-eyed uh, viewer, I think that may have given you a mm. clue as to there may be something going on here. But uh, I suppose by that point, it's just become a thing, wouldn't it? And I suppose w- once you, you understand the initial conceit of the episode, you kind of go, ah, maybe that's why there wasn't a reveal of number two, mm. you know, um, uh, at the beginning. Maybe they're going to have the whole episode of him in the village. Yeah. Oh, no, he's going to escape. <laughs> oh, he's escaped. <laughs> a second escape one. Yes. Um, and I'm just trying to think. This was actually the last of the sort of the first big tranche to be filmed, wasn't it? It yes. was the last Markstein. Um, but what are we on now? Episode seven? But it's also the last escape attempt mm. in before he kind of turns and changes everything into more mind games yeah. with the village. I think this one really yeah. pummels him and he's like, do you know what? have to play them at their own game after this yes yes so yeah well it was i think mark steve was saying that uh, this is the one actually i think he he left after this Mm. and there's a little cameo yes um but i think by this point he'd got so sick of the whole allegory thing how old do you think mark stein is in this episode uh, I'd say he was 27 years old judging from our (laughs) uh, (laughs) 38 what yeah i know oh my god Seeing him on screen for all this time, you just naturally assume he's an old man. You know, <laughs> yeah, he was thirty-eight. 38. What on <laughs> earth was wrong with that generation? It's Benjamin the Benjamin Button in reverse. Oh, no, it's crazy. So, our friend Anthony Skeen, indeed, returning to the fold. And again, Michael Truman was originally slated to direct. Yeah, I heard two stories. I heard one that McGowan was getting was impatient with his work order, and the other one was that he was actually ill. He mm. he, he, he retired through ill health. That's what on. I read. That he wasn't well, and uh, McGowan took over. Yeah, no, surely Joseph Surf took over. Sorry, <coughs> Joseph Surf <laughs> yes. took over. You're correct. There. Another McGowan with his uh, <laughs> his love of pseudonyms. Um, there was a, a, an interview with him around about ninety two. Mm. Uh, more ostensibly about Colombo. I think he just won an Emmy. Mm. But miraculously, he, this, the interviewer managed to get uh, McGowan to open up about, about The Prisoner. And that came up. Mm. And he was saying um, there was sort of Kafkaesque uh, and also the, the the surf, the sort of the, the, yeah. the, the double, the play on words. And he said, oh, I was nothing to do with that. I, uh, my you know, middle name is Joseph. And I, I was looking out to sea, I think, and I saw some surf. And I, I'll call myself Joseph Surf. Just complete <laughs> denying that there was any kind of... Uh, He's a man of many parable. contradictions, though, isn't he? And I've got to love him. <laughs> and we have a special guest star this week. The cat. Yes. Uh, oh, called? Tammy. That's right. Tammy That's the right. cat. And the story goes that they'd employed an actor cat. <laughs> I, I love that. I read this. I couldn't believe it. The cat wouldn't perform. The cat wouldn't perform. <laughs> so was they it... got a local couple's cat called Tammy. I think, I think... <laughs> Do you think it was because the cat's agent demanded too much? Or the rider? Oh, God knows. 
I want to have at least three plastic balls, two with a bell, one without. But imagine you got a couple of locals from Penryn Vader and you say, look, your cat will be in The Prisoner. Yes. For two episodes. Can it perform? Because <laughs> it would perform. What did it have to do? It's not like it has to spin plates. No, just break one. <laughs> Which it did brilliantly. Yes. In fact, it did it in such a way that, that the shards of the plate, mm. even though it was on a very small table there, yeah. none of them fell off. It was a brilliant bit of... I try to work like it, that, I'm trying to work out... If you look at it again, you kind of work out how he actually broke the plate. It's like mm. the cat had a very small hammer. <laughs> and like a toffee hammer. <laughs> but well, it was a fine work there by Tammy. What, what I find quite interesting about this episode, there's almost a uh, an echo of Arrival in, this, in the first couple of scenes... That's that silence. It's not just the silence. It's McGowan uh, going into the village and and being confused by his surroundings. He you know the clock goes up to the clock tower. He rings the bell. He, he surveys the the area like he does in in Arrival. Yeah, there's almost that repetition. Yeah, but it's now switched. It's not what he's used to, and he's now confused like he was in Arrival. Yeah. So I notice there is an echoing. Of those couple of scenes, yeah, it's also. I mean, it's a it's a nicely quite Port Merion heavy. Mm. Um, mm. I, ironically, since he's he leaves almost immediately, but, yes. Um, for a time, I kind of got used to seeing him in clearly studio settings with kind of yes, uh, with Port Merion on a cloth Ooh. through his window. But there he is in his in, in his PJs. He's, he's yeah. and he's walking. He's, he's he's left his house. He's clearly standing out there. So I'm assuming this would have been the one after that huge burst of initial uh, photography they, they had to go back on weekends didn't they and I actually have a dressing gown like that but mine's more of a maroon one. Oh, really I do yes it's very I should I, it looks comfortable it is I, did, I, I bought it from a play I did uh, an old cow play <laughs> I was going to say was it an old cow play yeah, but I've worn it around the house since it's just really comfy do you walk around with a cigarette and a holder as well no no I don't I don't go that far I'll, I'll get you one for your birthday but I, but I like to think I've got a you know a singular wit <laughs> <laughs> Noel Coward, who, who uh, Port Marion fans will know this, but he stayed in Port Marion while he wrote Blythe Spirit. Is that? Is that? I didn't know. That. And that's that. Well, I stayed there for my wife's birthday, fourth, fortieth birthday, which was last year. Well, Port Marion had some very, very famous. Um, Port Marion had some very famous um, guests, visitors, people who would regularly stay, didn't it? Well, before then, well, like Brian Epstein was a big, yeah. yeah. And fan. George Harrison became a huge. If you look, mm-hmm. watch the Beatles anthology. Mm-hmm. They're very. Uh, they're, sorry. If you watch the Beatles anthology from '95, uh, a lot of the uh, scenes with George Harrison being interviewed, you can see through the window that I know. Ex- I've been yeah. in that room as well. I think that was House. I nine. think they're shooting from uh, Hotel Pomeroy, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. But he, yeah, yeah, and uh, Epstein used to have a room there that he would always stay in. Yeah. So it's, it's had a lot of famous. Oh, yeah. Visitors yeah. over the years. And like you say, Noel Coward. Noel Coward. I think I should write about a ghost. Yes. Let but... me just put on my dressing gown first. <laughs> Ooh, the boy. So, so who, who was I doing? I thought that was much, much better. I, don't know I think I was just doing gen- generic <laughs> Englishman from the 50s. But uh, yeah, we've got a. a ch- <clears throat> we're actually recording a change of location, aren't we, today? We're, we're actually not far from the birthplace of sound editor Eric Mivel. We are but 500 metres away. Yes. Yeah. Just literally a two-minute walk away to the Alexandra Hospital is where Eric In Rill. So, yes. Sunny Rill. Sunny Rill. Uh, so that's how far we're determined to go for this podcast, mm. to make little tributes. Uh, I should, I, we should really say a big thank you to not, not only are the composer of the theme for this podcast, but we're currently sitting in his recording studio for reasons too convoluted to go into. So if we, if we sound... Just that little bit more professional this time. (laughs) It's because of uh, Gordon Milton, who I'm currently waving at. He's he's put his thumb, he's waving. He's doing some Paul McCartney-style thumbs-ups. Did they have the prisoner in South Africa? Oh, fair enough. Television. television. Gordon Milton's very, very old. (laughs) They used to just scratch stories onto Slate and hand it to each other. South Africa, of course, where they filmed the remake, which we will not talk about. There's a lovely link, actually. How about that? Yeah, How about I that? like what you did there. Sweet. You should get, like, Eamon Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> now then. Damn fierce, hungry soil. But there's some lovely um, stock footage usage in this episode. Oh, yes? Physically, of... when he gets in the moke. 
Yes. And he drives off and he, he tests the boundaries of the environment. Well, and then comes up against... <laughs> the so, mountains. It, yeah, it should be Porthmatic. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure where the library footage was taken from, but I think it was just stock footage, just to show. I mean, it's not Snowdonia, is it? That is clearly not Snowdonia. I think it was probably footage from the man who would be king. That looks yeah, quite possibly. Nepalese. Yeah. Although they did shoot... Um, in of seven. That's right. No, in of six happiness. The inner six happiness, and uh, one of the Buddhas mm. from in of the, from the is actually in Port Marion itself. It's kind yes. of housed in a. And that was up by Clamberis, wasn't it? I think. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and my... also carry on up the Khyber. Yes. <laughs> in oh, fact, so... that area where where Penryn de Dorothy is and Port Marion is, yeah, you've got Clam Clamberis, uh, but you've also got Better Sequoid as well, where they shot the Patrick Bergen Robin Hood. Yes. And Clash of the Titans. The remake was shot up in... Yes, that was the Dunorwick sl- uh, Slate Mines. Mines. Yes. The bit where they go to see uh, the, the Stygian Witches or yes. something like that. Yeah. They actually stay that uh, they came to the restaurant a few but, times. But in, in terms of North Wales filming locations, around that area of Snowdonia, is, is, you've had Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. They did The Five Doctors in 1983. They did The Abominable Snowmen. That was all shot in... In, in the Snowdonia, that's too many. There's too many to name. Yeah, bit of uh, from Russia with Love. Yes, that's right. Yeah, the there, end there. sequence of the plane. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, it was, that's again Clamberis. It's a, it's you know a treasure trove. It is. It is. And it's a beautiful part of the world. If you've never been, uh, I highly recommend. If you have never been to North Wales, what are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. It's got. It's just. We're the, not on commission from the, the Wales Tourist Board. We're we're, we're we're happy to accept. <laughs> but uh, no, it's an, it's an it's just a, a, a one hour drive. You drive through. It's got that sort of New Zealandish. The, yes. the same things they say about New Zealand. Well, you can go skiing yeah. uh, in the morning and drive up and you're up a mountain, and yeah. then you're on a beach. And it's and North Wales has got all that. Yes, yes. It's an extraordinary part of the world. Very, very happy to live here. And like I said about the echo of arrival, mm. um, he goes into the shop again he does which is the, the, I, the only time we see it isn't it i checked i tried to check what time was on the clock but i couldn't see the clock i wanted to put your just, theory to the test what i thought was quite nice is the camera that he uses yes is is an actual uh, oh is it a juliet no it's a canon dial 35 which was an actual camera and you can actually see they've covered the logo the brand logo have they the top with a bit of tape <laughs> You see, if, if Canon had any sense, they could have thought this is product. It's usually yeah. the other way around, like in Bond movies, they'll pay. Yes, yeah, yeah. To have, so to a have bottle stuck of, in there. Yeah, a bottle of a famous lager. I did think actually, seeing all those cameras, which of mm. course are a slightly weird anachronistic thing to see mm. in a village shop. Yeah, but it did make me. It did make me think. Do you remember all that we were talking in free for all about what they were planning, what the village was designing to sell yeah. to the outside yes. world? It did make me think that perhaps one of the things they were working on was one-hour photo development. <laughs> That this was the village was pioneering this, but they've got some EMI records on a, a rack behind as well, haven't they? <laughs> with EMI logos been replaced with the village logo, but there's some records on there. I did look at the titles; they don't really have much relevance to the episode. Just in case there was another kind of hidden message, but no. You'll probably find them in um, in uh, Randall and Hopkirk and Mike Pratt's video yes. record collection. <laughs> probably the same ones. Put some on as he's uh, <laughs> wooing a young lady <laughs> late at night, and then mind, mind if I hold Jeff? Jeff. Why don't I caress your hair while holding a cigarette at the same time? He's just about to take his trousers off and Marty appears. Marty? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you'd probably be able to find a Cannondale 35 on eBay, I would expect. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing the National Media Museum in Bradford probably has one in their fantastic Camry Museum. Yeah, yeah. On, on, the, on the, the lower floor. Well, uh, the, the, the film they use is very, very good, very waterproof, mm. as we will see later in the episode. There is another echo, I should say, mm. to um, to the chimes of Big Ben, mm. because once again, the moment he gets an axe in his hand and starts chopping the yes. tree, we get the chopping the tree theme music. I thought of you when ding, I heard ding, it. Though I have to say, this ship looks mm. a lot more seaworthy. Well, it was built by Gwyneth Marina. Oh, yeah? It was actually built by a local company for use on the... On the prisoner, and did, there's an actual funny story. Do you know the story about I, the? Didn't it sink? And they had to call no, out the coast guard or something. No, they. It, there was a fire on the boat towing it, <laughs> and they had to cut it loose so it wouldn't get damaged. And they lost it. <laughs> With Magoon on it? No, no, no. There was a, <laughs> but they got helicopters and everything to go over looking for it, but they couldn't find it. It's probably still out there somewhere. Oh, that'd be fantastic! Imagine that. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. All, all, all the shots of uh, McGowan sort of eating from the can and being lost and shaving—that <laughs> was real footage from him. Well, there's one of those shots. I think it's where he's shaving. You can clearly see he's in shallow water. Mm. But they'd use the coastline up towards Abersock and then into the Irish Sea, 
you know, for the for the sea footage. They were pretty close to shore, obviously for safety reasons. But even so, I was quite I was quite impressed by the the sea footage because. Mm. It, especially having sort of read about Jaws yeah. and the nightmare of fil- filming on water itself, and yeah, then you, yeah. and then you start to see other films where they clearly used a tank, yeah, uh, or just or a car or, park, yeah, a car park, or in just the, somebody holding a white sheet. Star Trek Four was in, in the Paramount car park. They was flooded this? a section as a tech for the for the end sequence. <laughs> oh, genius! Yeah, but actually, you watch this, you think, well, God, oh, yeah, he's he's clearly on on, on at sea, properly mm. at sea, because he. If you if you don't actually think he's at sea, or if you can immediately see that he's not, yes. a, a, a huge amount of jeopardy is lost. Yes, there's a touch of that at the end in the desperately unrealistic sort of parachute sequence. Yes, which we'll sort of get to later, but it sort of takes it takes you out of it for a mm. second. Whereas here, it's like, yeah, I wonder. I, God, I wonder where it's, he's going. It's only the shaving scene that ruins it a little bit because you can see the shallow water. Mm. But obviously, like I say, with the benefit of high definition viewing. It's more apparent than it was back in 1967 and up until the VHS yeah. releases. Actually, the VHS's releases would be even worse. Pretty poor, they? Yes. <laughs> but um, one thing I, I was going to say is the when, when the, the broken crockery is a symbol of good luck. I didn't know that until, yes, it's... In Jewish weddings, they break... Oh, hence the, uh, yeah, Molotov. Yeah, yeah. And, and in various other cultures, of course, in Greek... Um, you know. Molotov, that's a Mozeltov. I was going to say, that's, that's a cocktail, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, traditionally they would throw a <laughs> bottle full of kerosene over the bride. <laughs> Good luck! <laughs> Mozeltov, of course, yes. But yeah, broken crockery is symbol of good luck. And whether it is or not, maybe the cat is wishing. I can, I've never worked this out. Is this, you know when a black cat walks past you? Mm. Is that good luck or bad? I have no idea. It's one of the... It's, and I, I, I think never it's good it luck. Right. Sometimes when it happens, they go, "Ah, oh, how lovely! I'm going to have some good fortune." Oh no! Wait, I think it's got, as long as there's no physical harm. They say, like, if you, if you walk under a ladder, that's clearly bad luck because something bad could happen. Yes. But if you walk, if a cat walks past you, what's it going to do? Mug you? Well, in this case, it's going to smash a plate over your smash head. Smash maybe. If it's Tammy, it they like pushing things off, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Going back to that moment where he's shaving, I quite like that because there's a little bit of character development. It's it's the mark of a civilised man. I did. That's, that's one of the nice touches. It's mm. almost like the first thing he does when he gets out there is, I think I'll have a quick shave. Yes. I'm not I'm, I'm not turning up half shot. But I, but I think also there's, a, there's a, an element there of routine as well. And I think it's something they teach. I might be wrong, but it's something I'm pretty sure there's something they teach in various um, militaries around the world. You know, if you're in a position that to maintain a routine to keep your mental health yes. in check and having that. So, you know, you would have a shave or you would eat at a certain time. You would do these things. We hear he's out there for like 18 to 25 days. It's very unclear as to how long he's there. I, I, I think it, I think it's, it's quite clear, isn't it? He, he, well, he writes it, 18, day 18, doesn't he? Is that as far as it gets? Well, 18. when he's in London... They mentioned twenty-five. Yeah. So, but he's. I know. He, and also, he said. Uh, and how did you sleep? Four hours out of every twenty-four. Mm. So he's. I mean, he he is keeping himself in a strict uh, yeah. routine. Yeah. To keep his sanity. Yeah. As much as anything else. But then again, if he's only sleeping four hours, he's probably going slightly insane. Yeah. Didn't do that for any good. No, she was on three hours, wasn't she? I think or something. Slack him a Crazy. The other thing I noticed, mm. um, and I've this has been. I'll talk about this uh, in in a bit. The genius, the mm. genius of how he of how he assembles everything together, particularly the compass. Yes, which I just thought, yes. oh, what ass using village needles, village needles. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do, do you not think that the whole episode is very much like um, a boy's own adventure? Yes. One of the reasons I bring it up was that um, Alex Cox talks about this a lot mm. in, in his book about his resourcefulness. Mm. Uh, he's, he's been able to make a compass out of a needle and, and all these kind of things. To me, it kind of... I mean, Also, later on when he talks about how he built the car, mm. I built that car with my bare hands. <laughs> um, but it's it, it shows to me that... And the way he can plot coordinates mm. and he can do all this stuff, that he, he, probably had, he probably had a naval career. He would have had... It's suggested, been... isn't it, in his, his decor, yeah. in his apartment. There was very militaristic themes within his decor. So... It never comes that even when Guy Dolman at the beginning is is coming up with his past or anything. It's never yeah, his actual. Yeah, but at the very least, he would have he would have done national service, mm. uh, and he was born in nineteen twenty eight. Was it? I think. Yeah, but I mean, he's beyond resourceful in this. Mm. He can actually, without a chart, as he says, he has no, he has no no idea where he is. But mm. he still managed to keep himself. He didn't even know where he was setting off from. No, 
No, but I mean, the, it's it's beyond resourcefulness. It sort of suggests to me that was the well, that was first thing I took out of this was mm. this guy clearly knows his way around the sea. Yes, which is hard. Yeah, you yeah, can't. You yeah, don't yeah, just yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. No. But we know from the deleted scene from Times of Big Ben that he can he can use his... navigate using the stars. He's trying to pin his location down by the by using the triquetrum. Yes, yes. I was going to say sextant because it's a lot easier. Yeah, to say. probably be easy to say. <laughs> the gun runners, yeah, who are German. They're Based German. on the dialogue, yes, they are. They are uncivilized cads because they eat out of cans. Yes, and uh, Gunther. Yeah, have they got names? Yeah, Gunther. Yeah, and Ernst. Ah, played by Dennis Chinnery and John Lorimore. Now, there's a lovely little connection here. Oh, go on. John Lorimore uh, returned to Port Marion, or whether or went to Port Marion for the first time in the Doctor Who episode, Mask of Mandragora. <laughs> In which he played one of the, the lead roles as Count Federico. Oh, I knew he was familiar. Mm. I couldn't work out what he'd been in. I had the late. I should have. Just... I thought it was a lovely prisoner slash Doctor Who connection there. I think there's a whole book, you know, in mm. in slotting in the prisoner and Doctor yeah. Who and these wonderful <laughs> yeah. little micro connections. It's great. <laughs> well, tell me, you know what? They're pretty resourceful as well. The way they escape <laughs> was the was, cupboard. They yeah, went through the back of a cupboard. What? I, I know, I know. Is, but is that just a really badly designed boat? It, it's pretty shoddy. Like we've got <laughs> Father Ted, shoddy, <laughs> just kicking through. We look at that, Ted. <laughs> Who built this for Is that by design, do you think? Have uh, they done that themselves? Or I, That's the thing. It's, it's, but also, I mean, it's a nice bit of character, again, that mm. he doesn't kill them. Yeah. I mean, they're, the first thing they do, they didn't even check to see if he's alive, just tip the poor yeah, bugger yeah. over the side of the boat. They're obviously villainous. Yeah. But he, I mean... To be perfectly honest, he should have killed him. Mm. If he if he hadn't killed him, he'd have been able to go straight into port. He'd know exactly where to go, and it would have been a lot easier. Yeah, but, but he does. He imprisons them. He does. So the prisoner becomes the jailer. I did try to work out what knot he used as well, just to <laughs> sort of further my naval, naval uh, theory. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. Since since nobody else had had the good courtesy to do it before me and put it on Wikipedia, yeah. I had no idea. There's a very that very clever conceit where he, he creates the smoke. Yes, to to lure one of them down. No, very, oh, it's very good. Very well done. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. It's it does seem a little bit far fetched. But then again, you need them to escape in order to facilitate him leaving the boat. Yes, so yes. you do need a reason. But it's it's kind of crowbarred in a little bit, isn't it? Because we've had bit? this the boat scene, the whole gun runner scene. Yeah, it, it's there to create a little bit of tension, a little bit of action, because you've had it, this very kind of I guess passive. It doesn't really further, but I suppose. But there's no threat up until that point. Yeah, I suppose I know what you mean. But going back to the the speedboat chasing free for all, yeah. it's another. He gets to have a good scrap in this. Yeah, and that's I mean, if, there if for. you took that scene out, that's, there isn't any other action. Yeah, and it is an action show, so you do need contractually at least one. Yeah, and bit it, the music rises. It's there to, for the conflict, isn't it? It's just there to 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 give it that. Yeah, it's quite a good scrap actually. Yeah, it's just you know, some, normally they're quite, they're over in a bit, but he's he's up against two, at least one pretty thick, fisted. When he's on his back, he gives him a seriously impressive kick to the face. Yeah. So you know, it's a a good bit of action. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have just drifted. And perhaps it was a bit. It would have been convenient, too convenient for him yeah. simply to have drifted straight over to England. Yeah. At least yeah, with yeah. with a boat with with. Um, but then again, you know, then he's on Beachy Head. He finds the Romany family. He's and it's it, you've got an episode which is just plodding mm. along. There's not really a lot happening. Yeah. So you do need. I think. I think it was. You need that danger, that threat to him, don't you? Yeah. I never. I never felt that. Uh, oh God. A, a, actually, that whole scene was just padding. It was mm. exciting. It yeah, was. Yeah, it yeah. was. Is what you need. Mm. But then he arrives at Beachy Head and doesn't recognise it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite an iconic British landmark. I, I Yeah. Did he not recognise it? Oh, yeah, he said, where am because, I? Where am I? There's, what the, is there's the first words spoken, mm. where am I? Which, of course, are the first words in the intro. Where yeah. am I? That's a beautifully shot scene. Mm. Uh, that, again, is maybe a few words being spoken now, but I, I was... Even on my appalling video uh, VHS version, it, it kind of looked... But on... Seeing it again now, the way it's silhouetted, the framing the, with McGowan next to the horse and, yeah. and against the, the sky, it was a beautifully shot scene, the whole sequence. There's, there's something that does bother me a little bit because he's next to a lighthouse yes. with Peachy Head, yet he decides to walk up <laughs> the embankment <laughs> of the cliff. 
Well, surely anybody who works in the lighthouse would have had a path down from the yes. cliff. This is this is my naval theory crumbling to dust. And they, the the camera just slowly zooms in on him. Yeah, and it's a really odd. I don't know. I don't. I don't like that shot. It's just quite an odd shot mm. of him or Frank Marr just walking up the him. embankment. It could be. It could be. Or unless he just couldn't be bothered. Frank, I'll <laughs> shoot this one. You. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, there is risk involved. So I'm guessing, you know, because he could have slipped or fallen. I'm guessing it is Frank Marr. I suppose so. Yeah, it was. Um... It's from behind. So. <laughs> yeah, instantly. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, of course you've got. You got a slight. It's a bit of a, a little a, an Easter egg of sorts, isn't it? Mm. Because that light, uh, lighthouse will show up again yeah. in the yes. later episode. Yes, it does. And I notice when when he reaches the top, his hair is incredibly curly. Do you know? I thought in this episode, maybe it's one of the reasons. I think he looks the shiz in this. <laughs> he does it's suit something, that something about hair, his, his jumper. <laughs> yeah. He's got a fantastically cool jumper, yeah. but his hair looks really fun. It's just got a nice, natural, natural curl. I think he looks as good in this episode. Mm. As he's evident, there's a fantastic. If you've got the Robert Fairclough book uh, mm. about the prisoner, yeah. and the chapter on many happy returns, there's a fantastic shot, a yeah. black and white shot of McGowan in the ship, yeah. all covered in shadows, and he yeah. just looks properly massively yeah, yeah, idle. Yeah. He he kind of had that hair earlier on in his yeah. career. If you look at some of his younger shots, but it's he just he looks awesome. He um, what I find odd about that because <clears throat> he he's preparing to go on the raft for an unknown period of time. Mm. He he packs plenty of food. Uh, and assume water, because I'm yeah. guessing he doesn't know how to desalinate seawater. Um, but he doesn't take any protective clothing. He just wears his woolly jumper yes. for 25 days. This is, uh, again, my theory. This is it's it's an odd baseless. one, isn't it? But, I mean, he's got some shelter, but... <laughs> he may, I don't know, he may have done. It was his... Uh... I mean, he's, I, I... you see a snazzy anorak pop up now and again in the village, so... <laughs> <laughs> in fact, yeah, that's that's part of their whole culture, the yeah, snazzy anorak. But the Romanis, what do we know about the Romanis? I know nothing about the Romanis. Yes, oh, you do. Oh, come on. It's, um, I don't know how you pronounce her name, but it's Nika Arigi. Yeah, the guy looks familiar. I think that's just any guy you meet in real on a Saturday <laughs> night, isn't it, really? <laughs> she married uh, Prince Paolo de Borghese, from the oh. Italian royalty, but she's a visual artist. Still alive. I mean, obviously, she's, you know, she's in a... 80s now but um she was a, an actress she was in quite a few hammer productions like the devil rides out this was quite early in her career oh my god of course i didn't um oh god because you only sort of see a side profile yeah on her. yeah you don't really see her full on though do you no oh my she was I, a bit of a crush on her and the devil yeah, rides very out beautiful she was a woman. very very beautiful girl weren't they supposed to be cockneys in the original draft oh i don't know and then there was for some reason they sort of oh, that makes no sense why are they cockneys the Romany does kind of make sense because it puts him off balance, doesn't it? He thinks he's still somewhere around Lithuania. Or... Yeah, despite having wandered, just climbed up one of the most Beachy famous <laughs> landmarks in, in Great Britain. <laughs> again, I always, as a kid, one of the things that stood out, I just remember thinking, I bet you that cup of soup tastes really nice. <laughs> he moves on and then he gets into a Netco van. Go on. Well, they were the Tesco's leading. Uh, competitor Netco Netco yeah they ah. only sold nets <laughs> no, it's a fictitious company but there is a Netco now actually there is actually a company called Netco oh do they have the same vans I don't know very <laughs> lax security around the back I wonder if they've gone no we need a company name well Netco's Netco. going uh, you're a prisoner fan <laughs> let's call it the prisoner co no 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 no. there was a truck no one will get this it'll be like last episode yeah. to nowhere but um, that's just a conceit to get him into London, isn't it? I mean, obviously, there's the police cordon. And, yes, yeah, and he thinks it's all about him. I think it's all about him. It's typical Big Ed. Now, I yeah. wanted to talk about the courtyard in London near Victoria Station when he arrives. Yes. You notice the, the, the paving, the tiling of the floor is very much like a chessboard. Yes, yes. And that comes up again. In the entrance to... To his own house. To his own house. Yeah. Yes. I wonder if they actually get... Badly written letters to Dear <laughs> yeah. Your Majesty. One bucking please. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Prisoner. <laughs> Who's this? <clears throat> Explain what this is about. <laughs> and of course, well, let's, let, let, let's get to that later. I, I've actually to... been to Buckingham. I've actually been to... Oh, I'm me. Yeah, and it's, it hasn't changed. No, it? at all. <laughs> I was I was kind of partially crushed that yeah. there wasn't a, a caterer parked outside. I yeah. saw a Lotus. Oh, a Lotus? I wonder how much the price is that now. Oh, I didn't dare to even Crazy, it. Isn't it? 
Um, Should have gone halves on it. <laughs> but um, as a first appearance in The Prisoner of Grace Arnold playing the maid, mm. who returns in It's Your Funeral. Yes. Uh, and and I, what I quite like about this is, obviously, Mrs Butterworth is revealed to be number two. Yes. Which is, goes without saying. Mm. If, that, if that's a spoiler, then... <laughs> You've had 50-odd years to watch this. Um, but it's almost like a little bit of an echo of number two and the butler in in the village. Yeah. Is that number two or Mrs Butterworth has a maid yeah. at Buckingham Place at the prisoner's house? She's a classic snobby uh, uh, maid as well. Yes. She's appalled. Yes. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> you should use the tradesman's entrance. My mistress, I'll have you know. <laughs> I'd like to speak to your master. It's very... Curious, kind of very, uh, they seemed arcane terms even back then. Mm. Uh, your master, yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, she's wonderfully dismissive, yeah. But then when you see Mrs. Butterworth, you can take her reaction to number six in two ways mm. you can take it as this, you know, who's this handsome chap who's appeared on my door with amazing hair, or you could look at it in a more sadistic way mm. is that she's toying with him, like the cat toying with her. Yes, mouse. yes, yes. And, and when you when you review this episode, when you watch it twice, because it is an episode you have to watch more than once. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that, obviously, isn't it? And this is more of rubbing salt into that wound. The fact that he goes home, they've preempted that, and she is occupying his house, mm. the village. The administrator from the village is occupying his house. Yes, and, and his and his taken his possessions. Not just taken his, but wiped him wiped him clean yes. from the because his 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 deeds his name's yeah. not on the deeds anymore. Yeah. He's he his his was it Stumble and Croydon? Or is it? <laughs> now, to be honest, I was I was surprised when he pulls that blinder on her mm. and she comes back with a whole sort of I need a man around the house kind of mm. comeback that he didn't just run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's uh, you know all the all the lies he's been fed and the double crossing over there. Yeah. That's what I've got you. I I'm onto you and just kind of fled. Yeah. Instead, he's kind of taken in a little bit by her, and then it's kind of has well, a you know he's and... been taken in because he drops his guard mm. because he's like saying he reads the engine number. Yes. And she's like, and he does it again a little bit. Then she's like, look, you don't have to prove anything. I I believe you. Oh, you know, but it's it's towards the end of their sort of. Mm. Um, their initial introduction that he still tests her with the estate agent. Yes, yes. And she gets it wrong. So she's, that's what I mean. It's like, he must have smelt an appalling rat. I don't think he does, though. I mean, we, I, I don't know. I person, that's interesting that we've got a different way of looking at that. Because mm. it's rare, I think. <laughs> generally, we would generally see it the same way. But for, for me, I, I, I didn't, I've never seen it that. I've always just seen it as he's, this is a birthday present mm. for him. He's got out. He's he's fulfilled a dream yeah. of, of leaving and he's left and he can't quite believe it that he's, you know, he's found his house. He's found Mrs. Butterworth, a stranger who wants to help him. She gives him some clothes. She lends him the car. There's no kind of sideways look as mm. if like, you know, like like he does with uh, Leo McKern. Yes, you yes. Know, it's, I, I totally buy that he's he's fooled by this. Ah, see, says I mean, I, I, I was just, I was, I think he is full because I, I don't think he would have, he would have persisted with it. Mm. But it just surprised me that he actually he carried on having, having mm. kind of smelt a rat that he still kind of went well, with you, it. Uh, in, to support that, it, when you watch um, Schizoid Man, mm. he adopts this very meek persona, doesn't he? When he's you know, he's like he starts to lose it yeah. with Curtis. Yeah, he starts to say, I don't know. Who I am anymore, and he, he drops his guard a little bit, but it's an act. So maybe it's it's a the recurrence of that. He's dropping his guard, or he's pretending to drop his guard to see what the reaction is. Yeah, but that's I mean that is the last time he sees her is mm. as Mrs. Butterworth. But we've met her before, haven't we? In, in A, B, B and C. C, which again is uh, it plays nice. I still like that theory of yours. Well, there's another explanation for this um, in this episode because Mrs. Butterworth is in a dream, which is induced. Yes. So what's to say the villager is not using the dream state that, that they're induced or using characters from their administration in yeah. the dream? And that's why Mrs. Butterworth appears. I'm pretty sure that ABC was filmed, was one of the later ones. That's mm. why we're so surprised that it turned up as episode three. Mm. Uh, but that would have made much more sense. Yeah, I suppose it would. 
for for this kind of. In fact, it would have been a nice kind of discombobulating mm. uh, bit of uh, for the audience to see her again. Yeah, and it would make more sense that he's kind of remembering things from the past. Yeah, springs yeah, for yeah. the dreams. Did you know she also appears in Shattered Visage? No, she she's mentioned. She's like the head of um, the intelligence service in Shattered Visage. I read that since I was about eighteen. I know. I think I lent it to you. You haven't given me back yet. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's she's mentioned in Shattered Visage. So obviously, when um, they wrote Shattered Visage, so they wanted to use as many characters and elements. Yeah. Within that, so uh, yeah, it's it's nice that she gets a another airing. Yeah, in some form, and she does make a fun. I've got a little little thing. My my brother and I. Every time, <laughs> it's one of those lines yeah. that not aren't necessarily memorable lines. Yeah, but for some reason, every time we have a sort of cake or something, my brother will look at me and go, "That was the nicest fruit cake I have ever tasted." <laughs> <laughs> and what a hostess! <laughs> to bring a proper cake stand covered in little sandwich triangles yeah. as well. But the way he sort of just wobbles them into his <laughs> mouth. He has a sort of... It's the, what's the other one? The way he eats the pancakes. Mm. The, the pancakes, not the flapjacks, yeah. and the schizoid mouth. <laughs> he just, just pops them in. I mean, every time every time I've been with my brother, <laughs> we've been anywhere near a small sandwich, he'll just look at me and go... <laughs> and I know exactly what it's for doing a many Happy Returns reference, which nobody else in the room will get. And he mentions his birthday, doesn't he? He does. His real life birthday. It's my birthday tomorrow. Mm. His actual birthday, yes. Which sets up the ending. Yes. Which is a lovely little bit of foreshadowing for the ending as well. But like yeah. I said, it, it does almost seem like a little bit of a, a treat for him. Yeah. But then to really, really demean and degrade it's a, and to... It's a corkscrew into, oh, the, into the kidney. When you've... when you uh, Best part of a month... Of of travelling and suffering the wilds of the sea and, you know, living off rations and getting attacked by gunrunners and then people not believing you and then and then suddenly to have the rug pulled. That's a real Yes. You've got to have kicker, isn't it? You've got to you've got to stand up to be out acted by Donald Sindon. <laughs> but um there's there's something else um which is quite interesting here, is is that he gives an alias. Peter Smith. Peter Smith. Now, Smith comes up again in Do Not Forsake Me or My Darling. Oh, yes. The German version, the German Oh, yeah, Schmidt. Smith. Yes. <laughs> now, we know in, in, you know, John Smith is, a, is a, a name that people use as a pseudonym. It's become a cliche now, hasn't it? Mm. Doctor Who was John Smith as well when he needed a human name. If you need to check into a... a hotel with... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For a dirty weekend. For, for duty-free. Yeah. It's John... Wonder, Mr. and Mrs. Wonder... <laughs> So it was Keith Barron. Wonder. Is that Do you know? Yeah, it, it must be a good impression if you know it was oh, Keith Barron. Well, I could have picked that up. <laughs> Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the other side, wasn't it? She's it was. like, found him out, and he's like, Wonder. Why do you keep believing me? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but why doesn't he say John Smith? And and. There's two ways you can read this. Yeah, he's giving a pseudonym. Mm. He could be saying, I could say John Smith, but she's not going to believe me. If I say Peter Smith, it's more believable. Yeah. And there's some people who think that Peter Smith is his real name. Or know. an alias he uses as his, as his, you know, as his, in his spy world. There was a bit of um, a gap between the Peter and the Smith that made me kind of think that Peter might actually be his real name. Mm. And then he chokes and goes for Smith. Yes. So it's, well... Considering about the father, the P prisoner. I, I... Well, Peter, the name, if you delve into the etymology, comes from the Greek uh, Petros. It's also where we get Petra from, if you remember Blue Peter and the dog. Uh, <laughs> but that comes from Aramaic Kiefer, which means rock and stone. Right. So Peter, it's, its derivation is rock, stone. So you're thinking like the immovable object, something solid, something hard, something yeah, you know, unbreakable. I suppose, don't forget, I mean, McGowan would have had some sort of, maybe some sort of Catholic yes. re- reading yes. into that. But I don't think Peter is, I think there's a lot more depth to the use of the name Peter there. Yeah. Or at least it can be read that way. But another thing, it's interesting, she didn't change the decor. No, she even kept the tiger skin rug. Why didn't, I, that's what I mean, it, it's, you know, if someone's moved into your house, yeah, then... You know, if unless he's has he furnished this himself, and if so, why hasn't she refurnished it? 
Yeah. Well, clearly because the village are just using it for this conceit, aren't they? But it's I, for me, that would be an alarm bell. If I walked into my house after so many months taken over by somebody else, I would expect they've painted or they've, they've brought their own touches in. Well, I mean, she's living in prime London real estate, so she's obviously got cash. I mean, the oh, first yeah. thing she'd do is, right, get rid of the, the, the that tiger skin rug's going to go. Yeah. This globe iconography, oh. red, red. Shh, get rid of that. It's the 60s. I want flock wallpaper. Mm. We're going to have fondue parties. It's yeah, going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But she, she does come across as a bit of a jet setter. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, she's gone off skiing, she's coming back, she's meeting with her literary society or whatever. She comes across as that kind of independently wealthy She has a very woman. bendy ballerina-ish gait, doesn't she? Yeah. She, when she turns around, it's a sort of a, it's a sort of eight-joint turning thing. It's yeah. a, she's kind of very sort of S-shaped. She's got that very, oh, what's mm. the word, that older lady... Yeah. Assassinus. An old like lady who's the, seen the world. Avian C and has an eye for the younger men. <laughs> but yes. Do you notice there's a, there's a moment where he he's, he makes for the door? Hmm. He says, right, I really must be. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she stalls him. And hmm. she and she's really over the top about it. No, you can't go right yet. Yeah. Is it's the machinations of the village not quite ready for him to leave. And she's trying to stall him because then she talks to him, she gets him dressed and he cleans up, giving a little bit more time for whatever comes out. But also, she also comes out with a sob story Mm. uh, about a dead husband and everything, principally because um, what the village will know about number six is Mm. that he does have a weakness for for Nadia, uh, Alison and the schizoid man. Whenever they've got anywhere near successful, it's largely because even um, uh, later on, with Annette Andre, when she mm. the, they make her pass out in his in his in his house, he still sticks around, and your pupils are dilated, you've been drugged, and he's yeah. he does he kind of he, he he backs off a little bit with with women. He has a soft spot. Yes, yes. Uh, and so like kind of, please don't go. I'm a woman in distress. Well, I wonder if if that was done in an attempt to stall him rather than help him, but it's not followed through in the in the script. I don't. I don't. Well, she doesn't really get anything out of uh, keeping him there. To be honest, it if, if he'd have ran out right there and then, mm. I don't think it would have. It would have altered the story. In it, he would have no, gone straight. What, to... what I'm talking about more is about her actual reaction. Yeah, it's over the top. Mm. Well, you can't go yet. You can't. It's. It's. You mustn't. She. She jumps from very passive, very friendly to. Yeah. You know, it's like, you can't go in there. There's a surprise birthday party for you. Come back here, my dog. It's that kind of reaction. Well, even, I suppose, maybe that is a good play because she's almost, like, too friendly. Mm. Uh, maybe And maybe he's thinking, this, hang on, this, nobody just invites... I, I, well, I stink. I've been... I haven't had a shower for, for Maybe a it's, it's the first alert for the audience that things are not as they seem in this house. Yeah. You, know, you know, that people might... Again, we talked about the women's role in the 1960s. I mean, we obviously, we've had Rachel Herbert as number two. Yeah. But we haven't yet had Mary Morris mm. as, as the definitive number two spelt out. Those other female number twos have been revealed. As, as almost tricks. At the end. Yeah. Whereas Mary Morris is, is there from the beginning. She's the only one who's there from the beginning. Mm. And I wonder if that's almost a little bit like a an alert to the audience to say... The keen-eyed amongst you may recognise this as a ploy. Yeah, the keen-eyed and misogynistic amongst you may... Well, maybe that's one of the reasons why they pushed Dance of the Dead to after this, because Dance of the Dead was filmed way before this one. Yeah. But you're right, it's kind of... uh, The the idea that a woman could be number two is still a kind of... Oh, my God, the woman? It's 1966. Yeah. But, yeah, but even so, it was used as a trick for for -for free-for-all. It was Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, the, the maid, the woman is yeah. in charge. That's insane. Yeah. They still only had how many how many women MPs did we, we well, I think we yeah, got through this. Not many. So it was uh but had had they yeah, had Dance of the Dead been there before, mm. uh, we'd already it was entirely possible. Not only that, but But I, I think I, th- I think at the time you will have people who are watching this going, This is quite progressive. Mm. And then you'll be saying, oh, fantasy, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Women in charge <laughs> <laughs> But there's a lovely moment when she gives him the keys to the Lotus. Yeah. And she steps back and all bumps into an extra who's walking past. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah, and, and they don't cut it, you know, and it's basically, this is just guy, and that's his only show in the, you know, he just walks from right to left. I mean, she almost knocks him over. 
<laughs> but it's lovely. The, I think it's fantastic because McGowan obviously is, is directing. Mm. Is that but, I'll leave but, that in. But he's watching from the actor's point of view, isn't he? Yes. You know, so, yeah. That's, I like that's, the, next time you watch it, I watch like that. the truth yes. of that moment. <laughs> right, can we talk about Patrick Cargill? Can we talk about his tie? Uh, you know, he's wearing his school tie. That's it, his Haley Brew tie. <laughs> that's from his actual school. Is it? I thought it was a lovely little touch. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And it's still, it's, the school is still there. It's still going. Which school was it? Uh, Haleybury in Hartford. Yes. Uh, I don't know if, I'm know if I'm saying Haleybury right, because there's a lot of places in Britain. Like Lemster. I know. Leominster. Leominster. I think you'll find it's pronounced Halleyberry. Ah, <laughs> yes. it's like the, the Leicester Square. Leicester Square Borough. Oh, yeah, Milton Keynes. <laughs> well, I suppose Milton Keynes is the same, isn't it? But yeah, you, you, it's a lot of these places don't always are pronounced the way that they're written. It's <laughs> uh, like downhill, tunnel. Yeah, what are you doing? Or yeah, or, or something St. John Michael's. Sinjin. Oh, yeah, and Sinjin Smythe in... From uh, A View to a Kill. A View to a Kill. Which yeah. I, I remember, it was only recent, it was only kind of when I saw it, kind of my eighth time or yeah. something, when he's writing it, OK, Mr. Sinjin Smythe. Yeah. And then he types it. <laughs> like your walking impression. That's my walking impression. Very good. It's not bad. <laughs> I, can do, I can do this one. You ready? I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> that's, why, that's why Max Zorin. Underrated Bond film. It is. It is, it is. charming. Yeah, and, like and Patrick McNee's in it. But when he's typing in his, his name, and he's now he's written St John Smythe. Oh, I had no idea. It's one of those funny little English language things, isn't it? It's just meant to sort of. Out, out. It's another way of trying to confuse you and making yeah. belittling you. So apologies if I've said Haleybury wrong. And apologies. It's probably yeah, it's probably Halleybury. Yeah, and apologies <laughs> to all the Harry Halleybury fans. Anyway, the Halleberry Financial Club should meet there. Anyway, listen. Yeah. Back to Cargill yes. and his lovely tie. He presents something of a problem and an enigma. And I think, because obviously prisoner fans, you'll know that Patrick Cargill shows up in a later episode as number two, an extremely sadistic, uh, very memorable number two. Great actor. I, mm. No, I didn't realise. This was my first introduction to it, but I didn't realise he was such a, a comic actor. Yeah. I think, of course, he was, he was the doctor in uh, The Blood Donor. Yes, so that's how. Hancock, but, wasn't yeah, it? yeah. Oh, yeah life quite, or death, some poor fellow. I know we've come a little bit. I, I think one of his more popular roles was in uh, Father, Dear Father, the yeah, yeah. situation comedy. So, I mean, I, my first knowledge of him was this mm. as this monster in Hammer into Anvil. Yeah, and then you see him in Help as a yes, as a policeman, wasn't he? <laughs> I do rather love marvelous uh, Liverpool accent. I'll have you know. But that's look, going back. I know we talked about this way back in mm. um, Times of Big Ben because we had Leo McKern. Yeah. As Clang, yeah, and we've got yeah. Cargill as the police officer, yes, in uh, in Help as well. So there's quite a few prisoner actors show up in yeah, the Beatles no, no, films. Sure if, you know, Eleanor Bron would have made a good uh, number yes. two, yeah. I think. But you can imagine Roy Kinnear turning up, or Victor yeah. Spinetti. Oh, Victor Spinetti would have been a great. He'd have loved it, yeah, and he's Welsh. Yes, so he'd have been on hand. He could have just driven up. It would have taken him two hours, no yes. problem at all. Well, I was with John Lennon. Yeah, <laughs> in a hotel room, and we were talking. And then Peter Sellers rang. Yes, am I, am I name dropping? <laughs> well, there's some lovely character developments in here with Donald Sinden. Now, obviously, we of our age, we he's probably more famous for Never the Twain. Yes, indeed, the with, with uh, Windsor Davis, the sitcom about antique stealers. And also from the uh, spitting image kind of caricature of him, just constantly begging the Queen for a knighthood. <laughs> Mention this knighthood. But he did a very good show um, for, I think it was for Sky, I think it was about 10 years ago, where he went round some of the most famous British theatres. Yes. You know, like in Shaftesbury Avenue and all that, and like Drury Lane. And he did like a, a, a history. Yeah. And it was on Sky and it was, it was fascinating. Not long before he died. Yeah, he, he, he made... He made Old bones, bless mm. him. He was a, and he was a very fine actor. Big. He was actually. He would have been a coup, I think, mm. to have got him in because you remember him in things like The Cruel Sea. Mm. He was a, a pretty fine actor, actually. Yeah. Donald and his son Jeremy, yeah, also an actor. Ah, he's one of the pilots in Star Wars. Oh, is he? He's one of the rebel pilots. Yeah, Jeremy Sinden. Oh, lovely. So a, 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 a um, an acting family, an acting well, legacy. There's a lovely bit of interplay between them, him and Cargill in this mm. uh, in this scene because. Cargill seems to be his underling. Yes. He Sinden is the colonel. Mm. And for all his uh 
you spin a yarn that Hans Christian Andersen would, uh, and his his he he's that the sort of like malevolent thing, but he he actually answers to Sindon. So yes. for all his kind of uh, I don't believe you and I'm in charge, he, he has to kind of look at Sindon for approval. So that to me, I reckon he's HR. Exactly, he's 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 the, he's the one who's sort of. Uh, we got a return to work meeting. Yeah. <laughs> You've got your employer. Yeah, we need HR in here because the circumstances of your yeah, I absence... Don't, I'm too nice to and cowardly to fire you, but I'm going to get him to do it because yeah. he's under me. Uh, he has, he has but, to... but you can see they've got history because he calls the Colonel James. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's an allusion to a Colonel J earlier on in the, um, in the series. Yeah, the, and, and there's also a line where he says if, about answering, if not here, then elsewhere. And the colonel changes his tone. Mm. It's like they've got some history, some shared connection. And, of course, he, he's allowed to call him James. Yeah. So, you know, there is some unspoken, you know... Yeah. Maybe, they, you know, he was married to his sister or something. Maybe he's his brother-in-law. I, who knows? Yeah, you, you know. call me you call me number six again, James. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe but, they're at school together. Who knows? But there's some un, unspoken connection between the two characters. Which gives him the sway, though. It gives him the the opportunity to to say, look, please, believe me. Yeah. And he says, well, let's just say the dice are heavily in your, yeah, in yes, your favour. Yes. But I think, I mean, I, I've yet to... Well, I mean, I'll, I'll level with you. What I'm doing is we're, we're watching these episodes closely before we, we talk about them. So I haven't actually seen Hammer into Amber. But what I remember of it, mm. there's a sort of just instant contempt yes. that, that number six has for him that works if you if i mean if if this is the same character and he's called thorpe in this but if that is the same character then that that um that's the seething contempt mm. that number six has from him for the get-go actually makes sense but he knows who he is and he knows he's a he's a, he's a wrong and he knows he's scum but if, but if you were playing if you were in an actor and you went to play in a, in a show and you appear twice with you know you've got quite a few lines in this episode yeah wouldn't you vary the performance if you were to reappear as another character, unless you're doing like a Michael Caine, where I'm playing a Nazi, but you know what I mean. It's I mean Cargill had range, but yeah. he had a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive acting style, and it's it's almost like he's playing the same character in his delivery of the. Of the he's, lines. A, he's a bit more contained in in this one. He, mm. he starts. He's, he's very. Uh, he was, I mean, his pa- panicky, I suppose, is mm. the defining. Obviously, we'll talk about that in a later episode. But he's he's more sort of sit sat there in his chair with his arms up. Mm. He's it's a it's, it is a slightly different performance. But I think yes. I think it does. I'm pretty sure for a fact there was no way that they are the same performance. It was quite standard practice to mm. have the same actor sort of yeah, turning yeah, up yeah, these yeah. things. But it it still works. Yes, and it still works. Is a uh, it, it adds an extra level to the Hammer and Anvil episode. Mm. If you imagine that Six already knows that this swine mm. betrayed him yes. after he'd spent months on a raft. But I think that's, it's great that it's not spelt out. It, it's yeah, great yeah, that yeah. you can leave that open to interpretation. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, you can watch it one way or another and it'll mean something different each time. Mm. Well, like all great art. Yes, but particularly, sort of, I mean, it's sometimes it's, it's a kind of cheap way of doing it. I'm not explaining anything, yeah. but there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an art to doing that, and I yeah. think this series does that possibly better than anything that's ever been done since. Again, the village are oh, steps ahead. They're moves ahead on the chessboard. They are. How can they possibly predict the well, sequence of events that would lead him to wanting to fly over looking for the village? Now, I, Unless he's been... I am. Uh, this is where the logic of this episode... Crumbles, but because ultimately, there was there was no way that they could know mm. that gun runners were going to show up. That, no. that he he could that his his boat could have sank. Yeah, he could have been struck by a cross channel ferry. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that truck he sort of dives into the back to it and then falls asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, wh- there's nothing to say that couldn't have been going to the Shetland yeah, he Islands. Could, he could have just gone into <laughs> hiding. Well, here this is this is something that occurred to me, which is quite nice. What the village knew about him. It's often said about him that the, the number six will say, "No, no, no, this one, this one's uh, unstoppable, or this mm. one won't learn." They knew that whatever happened, he would try and come back and get his revenge. It's almost and like I a wonder, hubristic. Well, do you not think that's linked to Times of Big Ben? I'm going to escape. 
and come I'm back. Going to come back. I'm, I'm going to blow this place off the face. Yeah, of the I wonder if. It's and that's... I, I think they, whatever whatever happened, if he if he managed to get out and sort of get to the right authorities, he would lot? come back. But ultimately, kind of, you could say, well, all he had to do was he, he could have just said, well, listen, I'm out. I'm never going back there again. Yeah. I'm going to set up uh, an antique shop uh, <laughs> yeah. and just I'm and going you to live can run it, Donald. Yeah, why do yes? Well, well I've, 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 I've already made a similar sort of deal with Windsor Davis. I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> we'll do it as a threesome. Cargill could show up every now and then. It'd be lovely. Yeah. But yeah, you know, he, he, they, they knew mm. he was going to come back, and in a way, it's kind of punishment for his thirst for revenge. And what I, there's something that I quite like about this is that I feel that James the Colonel, that relationship's real. Yes, I don't believe he is. In, it's part of the conceit. No, because they send a policeman. They send a Bobby on a bike, yeah, which is refreshing to see, isn't it? But you know, and he checks and he sees the Romany camp, and that checks out. And yeah, know. and again, it's stuff that. But they uh, interview Mrs. Butterworth. Yes, yes. Now, if that was if they were part of the village, why would we need to see that? We wouldn't. No, they, they wouldn't show that. They, yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's like you say with the with McKern and that line about her being an Olympic swimmer. Mm. Uh, there's there's no reason to show those scenes because no. nobody else is present, so they clearly are happening. Yeah, it's interesting as well that the first shot of that confirms that we're in England mm. is a policeman's helmet. Yeah, the vision, the yeah. ultimate iconic yeah, vision yeah. of authority. Yeah. As soon as he walks in, it's like he's, what Alan Park used to say about that. Whenever it's a British film, you knew yeah. a London bus would drive through. Well, in most things, it's you'll get Royal Britannia playing, <laughs> a shot of Big Ben. If it's an American West comedy, Westminster Bridge. They do it in Austin Powers, yeah. <laughs> but it has become a cliche. So, if you're listening, American filmmakers, yeah, it's, yeah, knock it off. We understand why you're doing it. Uh, yeah, 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 it's yeah, not yeah. like that. <laughs> but then we got the milkman. The painter. Yes. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. Is that that was real, presumably? Apparently, it was a real scheme back in the you know, like got milk. Of, well, drink a pint America. of milk a day. What did we have in the eighties? About milk. Lotter bottle. Lotter bottle. Yeah, milk comes in a lotter bottle. Didn't Helen Fielding come up with the drink a pint of milk a day? Or Sue Townsend? No, I don't know. Don't know. Somebody famous came well, up with that. Adrian Mole Townsend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Answers on a postcard to <laughs> Hotel Port Merion. But, uh, but, one Buckingham but Palace. I love and again going back to the feline iconography, mm. the cat, the milk. Yes, and it's it, it was it is interesting. I don't know how how best to broach this, but it is uh, telling that the the next episode where Tammy makes her sequel. Yes, uh, the second <laughs> her sophomore. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because <laughs> Tammy's agent demanded at least two episodes. Yes, and they gave her a bigger basket. Yes, yeah, both treats. both with female number twues. <laughs> Oh, for the yeah, oh, carte blanche for the second one. <laughs> yeah, she'd had a taste of the highlight. <laughs> of course, then we we see as the audience that everything's about to go. Yes, go wrong, terribly, terribly wrong. And we get the stop you footage. St- it's just. So, do you know where the stop footage of the airplanes from? Um, yes, and no, I've forgotten. It's uh, from the Avengers. Is it? Yeah, it's it's from an episode called the. Something seven, I can't remember the name there. Oh, the superlative seven. Yes, superlative with, seven. With, thank with you. Probably the greatest cast list of yeah. any episode of well, anything. That's, that's where the footage from the planes from. <laughs> but then, yeah, he's he's ejected out, isn't he, and returned to the village. Interesting that Frank Marr was in the parachute regiment. Well, yeah, it was. I was quite. I was. I always like the way he sort of turns it and punches it mm. to, to release it. It seems like he knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. But God, what a gut punch! Yeah. A basing, and it's, the, 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 as soon as the milkman's there, you're going, Why is there a milk? Why are they filming the milkman? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. But there's, when he returns, the cat is hasn't moved. Mm. Now, I want to delve into a little bit of a theory okay. here. Is that when he goes to bed that night, the village ceases to exist. Yeah. And when he returns, the village returns. Almost like without him, there is no village, which yes. works on the metaphorical level. I, um, I, I, I think I'd read something about that. Basically, the village only exists when he's there. Yeah. And it's, and it, and, apart and, from and, apart from that morning, yeah, where it ceased to exist. From that purely allegorical, but I did think, you know, if it, just take taking it sort of to its logical conclusion, how on earth did they just in the middle of the night, everyone right, everybody. <laughs> okay, We're going right. into the bunkers. Right. It's no, it's like everyone hiding behind a sofa for a big surprise one. Everyone, shh. We're going to turn off the water supply as well. So please, please be quiet. Listen, you know, Derek. Derek can't 
keep secrets, Kitty. Let's get him out. Because um, he's going to stay with number two. We've got a, a hatch. Can but, we make sure Marjorie's got the wheelchair access? When, when oh, yes, yeah. We need to sort that out with Marjorie. <laughs> but don't make a sound. And by the way, somebody's cat has got loose. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's like the, the actual... The, the, what would be required to mm. actually do that, to get yeah, everyone out in the middle of the night? silly, isn't it? it but, yeah, I think, I think without him, the village ceases to exist. That stands out. And I bet you somebody maybe mentioned that to McGurney and went, mm. ah, wonderful. I like that. Mm. We're still on allegorical. Because yeah. this is, this. I think Mark's seen, uh, even though this is one he bowed out on, I think mm. he thought, ah, well, this is this is just for me. This is this, none of this. Well, he got his cameo, didn't he, in, he the, did, in he the episode? Did. That was a nice bit of uh, kind of pre-meta meta, that, to actually almost like restage the intro. It echoes Arrival again. Was there was there much of that back in the day? There, there were little bits of that. You kind of think it, it, that, it, that sort of postmodern thing and sort of started in the 90s. Mm. But I, was, I saw an episode of The Avengers recently where um, Steed's going through some old postcards and mm. uh, called Christmas cards. And one of them's from, uh, ah, it's from Kathy Gale. What's she doing in Fort Knox? Was he a reference to her being in golf? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, that was, a nice, that was a bit of a weird, yeah. bit of a netterness. But that's it. it was, I thought it was a lovely, and then the way he opens yeah, the door that, and it stops again. That happens again in the next episode. But I'll talk, we'll talk about that. We, we shall. To Dance of the Dead. Indeed. Of course, then our payoff is many happy returns. The cake. Yes. Mrs. Butterworth is revealed. Six candles. You hadn't already guessed. Six candles, of course. Six candles. Yes. And then the village comes back to life. With some stock footage of Dance it, of the Dead. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's a great, do you know what, it's a great shot, that, yeah. with Angelo Muscat, with yeah. the umbrella and everything. It's a beautifully framed yeah. shot. I'm not surprised, I'm surprised that it didn't show up in every episode. Yeah. But it was just kind of heartbreaking. He did, I think Mark's team kind of intended this one to be the end of the first series. Mm. And I think that would have worked as an absolute blinder. Yeah. Because everyone would know if this is the end of the series. Oh, he's escaped. Well, it, it, like I said before, it does mark a certain point of where this is his final escape attempt. Yeah. The rest of the time, are, are very concerted mind games yeah. with number two in the village administration. This is his last real escape attempt. Yeah. So it does mark, it is a catalyst for a, a new era for him. In the village. Hence the cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Georgina Cookson, mm. she was 49 when she played number two. See, unlike all the other prisoner alumni, she mm. actually looks younger yes. than her actual age. Yeah. That's quite impressive, actually. Well, do you know much about her? I don't think, I don't recognise her. Oh, from no, great. Much. I mean, she, she sadly died in. 2011 um, and her final television role was in a, a, a drama called Number 10 and she played Baroness Rothschild but what is quite nice is she was in a show called A Life of Bliss with Colin Gordon ah, which is quite a nice a pair of tools but yeah yeah she was she was born in um, Cornwall in 1918 and she eventually went to move to Australia and she died aged 92 yes and she was living in Sydney so she she led quite a long and varied career, but yeah, she stopped she stopped acting in eighty three. Yeah, but you know there was roles in Steptoe and Son and uh, UFO. You know you get the ITC contract, don't <laughs> exactly. you? you? You've got to do some more ITC. That must be a seriously lucrative contract. That oh, can you imagine? Yeah. But what I notice about all these actors is they were very um, well, obviously because of that era, a lot had come from theatre. Yes, because it is still. You know, as you probably know, television in in Britain uh, arrived in the 1930s. Then it was shut off. Yes. During World War Two, yes, because is. the Nazis <laughs> intercepted broadcasts um, and started up again in the 1940s. Live television. So, because you were employing theatre actors, because mm. they could handle the demands yes. of live television. Here's a script. Go and rehearse it, multi-camera, and we'll block it. We'll rehearse, and there we go. We'll do a rehearsal and then we're going for a live take. So if you fluff your lines, you'd add it. It's like Crossroads. Yes. That was, which was also live, wasn't it? And they did fluff it. But they're doing a lot of these. And Georgina Cookson was in seven episodes of the ITV Play of the Week, which was on quite a while. It was like 1958 to probably around the time when The Prisoner was being shot. Yeah. So a good decade's worth of, she was in seven episodes of Play of the Week. Nothing really that stands out in her career. Yeah. Things like Comedy Playhouse. She was an episode of May Gray. 
the BBC version, uh, the ITV television playhouse and things like that. So I suppose if if she had been too famous, though, mm. it kind of would would have given the game away. Can and there's also it? the cost implication as well. If, you, if you're getting something like Eric Portman, yeah. you know, who's going to be a lot more expensive yes. to book for that performance. I mean, she, she'd been in Danger Man. As a everybody in the prison yeah. in some way, but I put that down to Rose Tobias Shaw. I I think Rose Tobias Shaw was casting from, you know, the pool of from her from her one very thick address. Yeah, book. you know, and Magoon Magoon likes her. Yeah, yeah. so but if we'll you have her back. yeah, but if you if you actually had somebody like Diana Dawes say mm. and like a big star with a name slightly bigger than anybody else, yeah. people would think, oh, it's her. Well, surely she's not just playing woman who is in house. No, absolutely. But I mean, you know, she she had some film credits to her name as well. The, the very, you know, the, the films that are not even kind of shown on a Saturday afternoon on BBC Two now. A lot yeah. of these people forget there was hundreds of films made from the British film industry. Oh, I know, which are lost to time in people's memory, but are now being funneled back to us through Talking Pictures Television. Yes. Thank good God. Good plug for Talking Pictures Television. You can have that. You can have that for free. Don't worry. <laughs> which is fantastic because Britain had this rich. You know, oh, tradition yeah. of, of making films so well, it was, fantastic. It was the ED levy, wasn't it? Yes, uh, which, which is, was vital. Yeah, uh, and it, 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 not just like proper films, films, B movies as mm. well, children's foundation films. A lot of those sort of mm. show up. You know, it was it was it was a wonderfully fertile time for the uh, for the British film industry. Mm. Uh, thanks to that, it was uh, not a great idea to scrap it. So uh, the French still have something like that, yeah. which is why they can still have a kind of indigenous film industry. Mm. And the language thing, obviously, is a help. But, uh, no, take note, UK government. I'd give, it, I'd give this a five. I think it's a strong episode. Mm. I think it's a, It's almost like a... Uh, it's, it's, it stands alone very much in, in the whole 17, mm. and it's enjoyable for that. I, I, I like its cinematic first half. Mm-hmm. I, it goes interesting places, and it's such a... Absolute sucker punch at yeah. the end. It's really yeah, memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember specifically really, really enjoying this episode when I was uh, seventeen, and I still, I still do. Mm-hmm. I, some some episodes I've maybe not quite so much. This one I, I, I did. I know it's not. Um, you could wick, you could take this one out, mm. and it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It, it wouldn't. Stop. Yeah, it is a filler. It, it, again, it it's like, a quality. It's, filler, it's a quality it? filler. I'm going to give this one a five. I agree. With, I totally agree with you. It's yeah, for me, it's a five as well. It's got everything you want. It's got the it's got Port Marion exterior shots. Yeah, it's got a fantastic twist. Great guest stars. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's if if you want if you want to get, uh, get somebody who um, maybe so I have not, I've never seen it. You got oh, well, this. It's a safe entry mm. uh, episode. Mm. And do you know what? It's only just occurred to me for all the you know talking about the convoluted nature of what the village did to him, mm. specifically just to wreck his birthday. Yeah. Talk about malicious. Yeah. Free For All podcast was presented by Kai Ross and Chris Bainbridge. The theme tune was by Gordon Milton, and special thanks to Jemima Duncar for the artwork. Please see, see you. you. You can find us on Twitter at Free For All Pod or on Facebook at Podcast Free For All. And not to be one of those begging, insistent types, but uh, like, subscribe to your heart's content. Uh, It all helps spread the word. You are our advertising budget, so thank you very much. (laughs)